Well, good morning. So good to have you here this morning. I do want, uh, it's kind of interesting we sing How Great Thou Art. Uh, this past Thursday, I had the privilege to meet with a family, uh, and, and the person that was there is someone who actually passed away yesterday. She's been a longtime member of our church, Sarah Smith. Uh, many of you probably know Leon, Big Leon, that's his mother. Uh, she passed away yesterday, and on Thursday, I had a chance to sit down with some of the family and talk to the daughter. and. Uh, she said that uh, her favorite song is How Great They Are, and I thought it was kind of strange, of course, how God kind of lined that up for the family, hopefully to encourage them. Uh, they're probably watching this morning, and we definitely want to lift up this family uh, during this time. Well, today, we begin, or we continue the series, First Things First. And if you will, go ahead and look at the series introduction. Basically, it's the same thing we've repeated the last four weeks of this series. And it's basically the whole concept that Jesus matured and grew in certain ways. And that's the way the Bible describes it. Now, theologically, I don't want to jump in and say, uh, what, what do you mean? Can deity actually grow? Can deity mature? I think, again, the terminology is more there of the expectation and the example that he set that we should grow in these particular areas. And the Bible says Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I read the Gospels, it is very obvious that Jesus was all about relationships, all about relationships, whether he was talking to the Father or whether he was dealing with people in his life. I mean, look at the way he dealt with his mother. Even on the cross, what was he doing? He was getting someone to take care of his mother when he was leaving. You, you look in many other places, and you'll find uh, the, the relationship he had with his disciples. It was very sincere. And then there were those three, the three inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And we see how beautiful those relationships were. But it didn't end there. It expanded into those who many of us would say would be the least of these and, and, and how many of the world would just have written these people off. But Jesus intentionally got into the path of those who were considered the least of these. Jesus was all about relationships. And those relationships were a priority in his life. And so basically, I think he is definitely the example that we could take for those who, who have matured or who have processed and not only maturing themselves in relationships, but helping others mature in their relationships. So look on your outline. How does one mature in relationships? And, and there's several ways. First of all, by affirming others' worth. When we get to the point where we look at others and we basically affirm them, we are showing love and care and concern for those people. And Jesus ministered exactly this way. So how does one mature in relationships? By affirming each other's worth, by showing acceptance. By showing acceptance. Now, have you noticed that we tend to not accept those who do not look as we do, we do, do who do not act as we do, who, who don't do things that we, in the way that we would do them? It's very inter interesting that our, our, the flesh side of us, that side of us that many times gets it wrong in life, that, that many times we're repelled by certain people that are out there in our life. And, and, and basically, when you look at the story of Jesus and you look at how he dealt with people, he was not a respecter of men. He, he was not one of those who left people on the outside. He saw through the 
through all the things that many people look at and look straight at the heart of people. He appreciated people. He affirmed people. He accepted. Jesus accepted those who were different than himself. Nowhere do you see any prejudice. Nowhere do you see that, that he limit his, limited his reach into accepting others. Now, let me tell you one thing that you also need to know. While he accepted others, he never condoned their sin. He never condoned their sin. I mean, think of some of the people he reached out to. There, there, were, there was this one lady, the woman at the well. Many of us are introduced to her in John chapter 4. And basically, he was, you're talking about the least of these. He's there with this woman. And the disciples had gone away, and they basically came back. And he, they must have seen the interaction between him and this woman. And even the disciples were scratching their heads saying, why would you have anything to do with this woman? It's amazing how sometimes we see differently what God sees. Many times we make judgments on people that God doesn't place judgments on. And so many times we miss so much. Who, who is that person that you have a difficult time accept, accepting? The fact that, you've had a, that you probably have a hard time accepting them sometimes and many times means that they're different from you. The fact, however, that you are different means you can help each other grow. It means that there's an opportunity that, that is there. How, how many of you, when you went looking for a spouse, found someone who was just like you? Now, we normally find people who are different than us, don't we? We, we reach out to those who, who seem to be a little different. If you're an introvert, you're probably attracted to the extrovert. If you're an extrovert, you're probably attracted to the introvert. And there's so many different things. And all of a sudden, we come together and we're so caught up in our differences. And they come at life so differently. Isn't it so beautiful? And then about one year to two years into marriage, it's like, who are you? <laughs> Why do you think that way? And so many times we miss the whole premise of the fact that God, I believe, is behind bringing those opposites together, bringing those differences together that he may grow us and develop us. And that's what Tina has done to me. She's developed me. No, I'm just kidding. But, but, but it's one of those things where we are there, and we're there to help one another. I, I think of another thing that God has done in my life. And here's what I want you to think before I say this. How many of you, have, how many of you are convinced that God has placed certain people in your life to mature you relationally? First of all, we'd probably say our spouse would be in that category. Our children, man, they really can get in there, can't they? But I remember many years ago, I was 16 years old. I was working for Harris Teeter. I was working uh, in the grocery business. I worked there for about 11 years. Um, and I remember there was this uh, guy who's a grocery manager, and he was over me. I was this young guy, and, and uh, his name was Donis. And Donis and I became very, very good friends. I mean, I loved his family. He loved my family. It was one of them special relationships. But I'm going to be honest with you. God had to grow me in that relationship. Donis was an African-American, and, and, and there were some prejudices. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to admit it to you. There were some prejudices that were in my life. There were some things there that shouldn't have been there, and I am absolutely convinced that God arranged this relationship in my life with Donis. And, and Donis, I mean, he, he, was a, he was one of those guys. He was just a great guy, and, and I'm just going to tell you, God did a work in my life. 
And there were some things that he did in my life to, to, to move those things that shouldn't have been in my life away. And, and, and the relationship and the thing. And you know what? When Donis and I really got together, I mean, it wasn't some superficial relationship. He admitted that he has some prejudices in his own life that I helped him with. And I'll be honest with you, God did something there. And it didn't end with Donis. There's been other people that God has brought in my life that were totally different than me. Matter of fact, there were some things I had to overcome to have a relationship with those people, to accept them where they were, not necessarily that they were in sin or anything, but there was just some things that God has done in my life over the years that has helped me understand myself in light of relationships, not just with him, but with others and many who are not just like me. God wants to use each of us to help each other mature. But it all starts with the idea of acceptance. Now, again, not accepting a person's sin, but accepting them. That we're not using prejudice to evaluate whether we accept. We're not using the fact that well, they're totally different to me. I can't even relate to them. But it's the fact that God places certain people in our lives in order to help us grow. And it, the whole relationship has to be built upon the idea of acceptance. How do we know this? Romans 15, 7 says, therefore receive. That word literally means accept one another, just as Christ also received or accepted us to the glory of God. How many of you are glad that Jesus reached beyond who he was to reach to us? He accepted us. He accepted us as sinners. He accepted us as something that, and the Bible says before we came to know him as our Lord and Savior, the Bible describes us as an enemy of God before then. But he accepted us in a way that he could have a relationship with us. And there's so many things out there. So how do you tell when you've accepted someone? When you stop insisting that they be just like you, that's how you know you've accepted someone. Another way that we can affirm others is by showing attention. Showing attention, not just acceptance, but attention. Attention, listen, takes more of an investment in your, for, through your life to, than accepting them. So you go from the acceptance, but now you're giving them the attention. How many of you are amazed that everyone seems to be looking for attention? And people will go out of their way to get it. Look at some of this reality stuff on TV. Isn't it amazing what people will do to get attention? Social media, whatever it is. It's amazing. People are just looking. They'll do anything. Look at those who will, who, who will do things. And, and here's what it tells me. It tells me that there's something missing in their life. There's a deep need that's not being met that they're probably not even aware of that's driving them to these bizarre ways of acting. I, used to, I was a student pastor for uh, almost 10 years, and I remember seeing these young ladies as they were growing up, and, and some of them didn't have certain relationships with the parents that they really needed, and it was very easy to pick out those, those teenagers who didn't have that because they longed for attention. They longed for someone to notice them. And I'm telling you, it is big. It's something that we all need, and we've been built that way. The Bible says in Galatians 6.10, give special attention to those who are in the family of believers. And, of course, we are to do that within the body. But, but it's not limited there. When we see the example of Jesus, it reaches beyond that. 
Now, here's what we need to understand. It, there is a general principle that says that what you pay attention to will grow. If you pay attention to a garden, it'll grow, won't it? If you leave it neglected, it won't. If you pay attention to your kids, you'll grow in relationship with them. There will be a, a relationship that will grow, that will emerge. If you pay attention to your marriage, your marriage is going to grow. It's going to grow. Growth is a sign of healthiness. Now, I want you to think about this. What's the greatest gift we can give someone? A lot of you would say Jesus, and you'd be exactly right. That's the greatest gift we can give some, someone. But let's get beyond that. Let's, let's look at a little bit further. A lot of times we would say the greatest gift you can give someone, and sometimes we think this way, is maybe more money. How many of you light up when you get, still get money? This, I, you remember when you were a kid? And you get $50 and you thought, man, I can buy the world. You remember? I remember one time, Tina's dad, we were broke as broke could get. Let me just tell you, Tina and I started real early. We had to finance our first TV. <laughs> and it was one of them, I don't even, yeah, there was a remote. Yeah, there was a remote to it. But anyway, uh, but, but the point is, there came a Christmas, there was this one Christmas. And Tina's dad, he's, he's with the Lord now, but Tina's dad basically gave us our regular Christmas, and he always played it up big. He was one of those that liked to dress up like Santa Claus. I mean, Christmas was big to him. And, and, and there was this one Christmas, I think we were like 19 years old. We didn't, have, we didn't have anything. And all of a sudden, Christmas we thought was over, and then he started handing out envelopes. We loved the envelopes. Now, some of you are going to think that's not a big deal. It was to this guy. Opened up one of them envelopes, $1,000 was in that envelope. I thought I won the lottery. I thought, I thought Ed McMahon showed up twice. I mean, <laughs> it, some of you are young, you don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, hey, I'm telling you, that, I, I think I cried. I think I visibly cried. <laughs> It met such a deep need in my life. But the point, what I'm trying to say is, there's still things, and those things may be wonderful and everything, but the greatest thing we can give anyone, the greatest thing you can give your daughter, your son, your marriage, those that God's brought into your life, is give them that idea of attention, focused attention. Many men miss this. There's some men that I will talk to, and they'll say, I don't understand. I provide everything my family needs. I give my wife what she wants. I give the kids what they want. What more can I give? And yet you talk to the wife. You talk to the kids. What do they really want? They want him. They want you. That focused attention. I want to give you a homework assignment this week. I want you to look for opportunities to show appreciation and focused attention to the people that God has placed in your life. I want you to pay close attention, and I want you to appreciate them, and, and I want you to, to give them your focused attention. Again, Tina and I were, I think we went to, yeah, yesterday, we went, uh, no, I'm sorry, Friday we went to Charlotte, and uh, we go into Charlotte, we kind of go, we went out to eat, and we're coming back, and, 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 and how many of you have wives that will look at you while you're driving and say, what are you thinking about? 
I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel the life literally leave my body at that point. So. <laughs> and my wife, she said, what are you thinking about? And, of course, I'm sitting there, and you know, I'm driving. I'm thinking about, I'm wondering why that car is going so slow in this lane. <laughs> and I'm wondering how I can get around it. Now, what, what would she love to hear? Not that. <laughs> Honey, I'm just thinking about my love for you and how I just hope it <laughs> continues to grow beyond anything we could ever imagine. And if I said that, she'd be like, did you get a bad health report this past week? <laughs> I mean, isn't that sad that it comes to that? But the point is, I, I want you to do that. I want you to show, I want you to attempt to do that. Because what you'll be doing is exactly what you find Jesus doing on the pages of, his, of, of God's word. Jesus was interested in people. Jesus gave people focused attention. He gave the, the crowds that. He gave the 12 that. He gave the three that. He gave the least of these that. He was constantly giving people focused attention. And they mattered to him. A third way we can affirm each other is, is showing affection. It's interesting, when you begin to, to read about certain natures uh, that go on with, within us, uh, there's something called a failure to thrive syndrome that you find in babies. And it means that uh, that little infant, if they're not stroked or they're not caressed or they're not touched, as they grow up, they will not develop in a healthy manner. Some possibly will not even survive being an infant. The babies need to be touched. They need to be held. They need to be cradled. But let me just tell you this. We don't really get too far from that as adults. We still need that. And we still need those things. We need someone to show affection, show us that kind of attention. A study a while back discovered to be a healthy, fulfilled, satisfied adult that we need eight to ten touches, meaningful touches every day. A handshake, a hug, a pat on the back, a little squeeze. And I get so many on Sundays, I don't have to worry about the rest of the week. No, I'm just kidding. But the point is, we do. We need that so desperately. I, I was talking to people who work in these nursing facilities. When COVID started happening, and they basically had to shut down these places and couldn't bring people in. I heard one nurse, uh, nurse tell me that she would walk into a room and there was a visible difference in the people because no one was there to give them those meaningful touches. There was a definitely, di there was a difference when the time went on. She said that she walked into one lady's room and when she was standing there, she noticed that the lady was distraught and she just, she just looked at the nurse and she said, this lady seemed to be a, one of them hardline people. She had gave you the impression that she didn't need anybody. And she sat there in her bed, almost tears in her eyes, and she basically said, honey, could, could you come over here and give me a hug? That's the kind of stuff that happens when you don't show attention and you don't show disaffection. We are made for touch, appropriate touch, of course. Romans 12, 7 says this, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. What this is saying is that we're one big family. When we enter into the community of God, we're one big family. But let me take you back to Jesus. Jesus, while he was definitely about the kingdom, did he reach out to those who were outside the kingdom? Obviously, he did. 
And we were once that at one time. Lastly, we can affirm others by showing appreciation. The word appreciation literally means to raise one's value. To raise one's value. We all hope to be appreciated, to be valued by someone. Every time you appreciate someone, think about it, you raise their value. When you appreciate your wife, your husband, your children, you raise their value. When you go into a connect group, we talk about doing life together, and you encourage someone, and you appreciate them, you raise their value. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul's kind of talking along these lines when he says, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. And we urge you to recognize, that word literally means to appreciate those who labor among you. Those who are out there putting themselves out there. Those who are, uh, maybe, maybe it's a kid church, uh, kids church worker. Maybe it's a member of the worship team, your connect leader. Those in your connect groups, or whatever it may be. Those that God has placed in your life. When was the last time you gave them focused attention, but you showed how much you appreciated them? When was the last time? You know, most of the people that serve in this church on any given Sunday are not paid anything, they volunteer to give of themselves to a child, to a family, to you, to us. And the point is, what do they give back? Well, of course, they know they're in it for the kingdom's work. But boy, there's nothing wrong with showing appreciation. Maturity in Christ, listen to this, is more than knowing the scriptures. It's living the scriptures. And everywhere you turn, Paul's instruction, Jesus' instruction, all of them, they basically say there are times where we need to, to evaluate those around us and we need to encourage them and appreciate them. We've been called to do that. So, how does one mature in relationship? Not only by affirming others' worth, but by praying for others' growth. We need to pray for one another. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 1. And while you're turning there, listen to this. We usually pray for people's health needs. If I were to stand up here right now and I, and I were to say, okay, let's, we're going to have an extended time of prayer this morning. Are there any prayer requests? Now, I'm, going, I'm, I'm not knocking this, but I'm going to, I can tell you what would happen. 90% of it would be health-related. 90% of it. Is there anything wrong with about praying people for people's health? No, no. The Bible, the Bible commands us to do that. We're to bring supplication before the Lord. Pray for those around us. But the first thing that hits our minds for prayer requests is what? Health. Health. Pray for this person. I want to ask you a question. When you begin to look at the prayers in Scripture, Jesus had prayers that are recorded in Scripture. Paul had prayers recorded in Scripture. There's not a whole lot of talk about the health. It's all about how you're getting along relationally with God and with others. It's more than that. It doesn't just stay right there. It's more than that. I'll show you that in just a moment. But look at Colossians 4 here. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you. How? In prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. 
No mention of health in that. And again, I'm not knocking that. I'm just telling you, could there be more to prayer than just praying for health ailments? There definitely is. So, so why do we not pray more for each other's spiritual growth, our relational growth? Part of it is we don't know how. Let's just be honest. We don't know how, do we? Did you know there's some places in the Bible that will teach you how to pray for one another? I want you to look at Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 1. And, and look at verse 3. This is Paul's prayer for, for people. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day into now, being confident of this very thing that he, God, who, who's begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. So Paul's basically talking about the description of the fact he's imprisoned, he's there, and, and to me, what, what I'm kind of getting at this is there's not a whole lot he can do right now other than encourage them with this letter and to, to pray for them, Okay? But then he says, verse 8, For God is my witness how greatly I long for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. What is he doing? He's affirming them in based on what we just said. But it doesn't end there. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus, or till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. It's loaded with how you can pray. Now turn over to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. That's an example of how Paul prayed for those around him. In John chapter 17, this is Jesus basically praying for us. Praying for us. John chapter 17, look at verse 20. I do not pray for these alone. He's not just praying for those who are right there in front of him. It's obvious of those in front of him. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they will be one as you, as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I've given them. That you may be one just as we are one. And I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with you, may be with me where I am. And that you may behold my glory, which you've given me, which you've given me for you love me before the foundation of the world. And he's basically going on and on. And if you want to look at more, they're all through there. But that's Jesus basically Telling you how he's praying for us. How many of you think it's helpful to learn how to pray through God's word? Yeah. When's the last time you prayed for someone and you prayed God's word over them? It's very important. That, that is the healthiest way you can pray. Is to pray God's word over another human being. And the only way we do that is we got to know God's word. Okay. So we see there's Paul's prayer 
There's Jesus' prayer. Now listen to this. The power of prayer makes a difference in people's lives. And I want to I take it to, to where we try to live out the principles of God's word. If you're in a connect group, and I just want to say this, and, and sometimes you wait to the last minute maybe to pray for one another. I understand that it's about the word. It's about teaching the word. But it's also about connecting with one another as we connect to Christ, I believe, in relationship with one another. And the greatest way we can do that is also in prayer. Start with prayer some weeks. Get in there. Start. And again, don't make it all about the health reports. Again, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But there's deeper needs. There's some of you that your heart is breaking because you have a child or a grandchild that's walking far from God. There's some of you who are sitting here today and, and there's something maybe that, that's going on in your heart and soul that God's working through something in your life. And you need other people to join you in that prayer because this is a very difficult season in your life. That's the kind of connections that we see found all through Scripture and how we need to pray and lift each other up. So we start there. Making prayer a priority. Make prayer a priority and you will see some incredible things in your group as you pray together. Pray specifically. And then when God answers the prayer, celebrate it. Celebrate it. There's a couple of our connect groups I know do that very well. And I think that it would, all, it would pay all of us to find that, to learn how to pray for one another. Next, this one may not be on your radar, but how can we uh, encourage people to mature? By admitting our mistakes. It's the whole idea of transparency. By admitting our mistakes, we build. Let me tell you what we build. Connection, intimacy, and relationships faster than any other way. Ephesians 4.25 reads this. Tell each other the truth because we all belong to each other. Now, let me just say this. How many of you have ever showed up to church with a mask on? Some of you know what I'm talking about, don't you? I, I mean, listen, I, to keep from wearing a mask so much, Tina and I don't drive to church together because it helps. No, I'm joking. I mean, no. How many of you know since you can have some of your biggest arguments on Sunday morning? You ever been there? And it seems like the more kids involved, the, the heavier it gets. But, but the point is, we come in here and we put our best face forward, right? We do. We come in here and you go, oh, yeah, Jesus loves me. He loves you too. And you just had the biggest, your wife's looking at you like, hmm. It's hard to get up here when your wife's sitting out there. She, she's, she's keeping the nursery right now. She'll be here in the next service. But I look forward to sharing this with her. But anyway, but the, but the point is, <laughs> the point is, we just got to be real. We got to learn how to be real with one another. Sincere. I'm struggling. I'm really having a hard time right now. We need to be there for one another. Tell the truth about yourself, your fears, your doubts, your hurts, your hang-ups. Just be transparent with one another. Now, I'm not saying that every time we meet, every time you come into Connect Group, that it becomes a big moaning session and we sit there. No, no, sometimes these things are better handled one-on-one. -on -one. But the point is we call other people in who are like-minded. 
And as we grow together, God brings that out in our lives. Now, why wouldn't anyone want to be honest and open? Here's why. Because it comes with a risk. Some of you have been burnt by being transparent. And it's painful. And you don't want to go back there. I get that. But let me just tell you this. It's worth the risk when you find the right people who love you, appreciate you, affirm you, who's willing to pray for you, it's worth the risk to find those people and surround yourself with them. It's worth the risk. Four benefits of being transparent. Here, here's another. Emotional healing. Emotional healing comes from just being honest with other people about what's going on in your life. In James chapter 5, it says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. Why? That you can find healing. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or purpose, excuse me, man or person, avails much. Notice it doesn't say go to the priest, go to the pastor, find the lowest, uh, the nearest counselor. What does it say? One another. We're all in this. Another benefit to admitting our mistakes is we get a fresh start. A fresh start. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, He who covers a sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have what? Mercy. Mercy. Mercy is not only not receiving what you deserve, punishment or penalty or whatever, but it also implies a new start. How do you know that? Because the psalmist says this, His mercies, God's mercies are new each day. Every day has the potential of a new start with God. How many of you are thankful for that? Yeah, every day. And every day we can come to him and say, God, you know, I missed it yesterday. I totally missed it. I'm, I want to be on track with you, and I know I, des I don't deserve what you're doing in my life, but God, give me mercy once again. Next, another benefit of just being honest, God, you have God's power to change. The Bible says in James, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And what will he do? He'll lift you up. He doesn't shame you. He doesn't put you down. He lifts you up. So that means when I'm honest about my weaknesses, then I'm humble. And when I'm humble, the Bible literally says, I receive God's grace. How many of you need God's grace? We need God's grace for everything. Our salvation is built on that grace. And the continued forgiveness and the fact that we, cannot live, that we don't live in bondage, and it comes by way of grace. So when I receive God's grace, I can change the things I've always wanted to change or see changed in my life. But it only comes through humility, and humility only comes through honesty. i got to be honest about it. A fourth benefit of honesty or transparency is deeper fellowship. Let, let me ask you, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to put it out there. How many of you, maybe it's better to do it this way. Are your relationships deep or are they superficial? If you're a person, let me just say this. If you're a person who just has superficial relationships all around you, then you're missing, you're missing the intention of the relationships God desires for you to have. He wants us, listen, he wants us to grow deep in our relationships. 
I want you to study Jesus again. Every time he met someone, was he satisfied to let it be superficial, what they dealt with? What did he do? He literally pulled back the layers and went deep with everyone. Now, some of you would say, well, he's Jesus. He sees the heart. I can't see the person's heart. Guess what? Did you know sometimes the Holy Spirit will help you see a person's heart? Did you know that? I'm convinced of that. I see it. I see it through my life. I see it through, listen, I see it through God's Word. God's Word teaches me how to read people. God's uh, counseling with people, having deep relationships with a lot of people enables me to understand the dynamic of relationship. And a lot of times I can read people pretty well because I've got a lot of experience with it. And the same thing will happen to you. But again, here's where some of you are, and I get it. You've been hurt by that before. I've been hurt by that before. And it did shut me down for a couple years. I'll be honest with you. But those are some of the most miserable years of my life. When I just closed people off because I got hurt and I got bitter. Miserable. And I'll be honest with you. Things didn't go well in my life, spiritually or any other way. Until I opened back up to God's church, to God's people. And I basically got real with people again. Deeper fellowship. You know, sometimes I think we think that people will think less of us. But, you know, that's not been my experience. I've stood up here. Some of you have been here a long time. I'll show you my warts and all. I'll even tell you some of my family's warts and all. <laughs> but but I, I'm not saying that with pride necessarily. I say that because there's immediate connection with some of you when I do that. And you're like, wow, am I, not, I must not be the only one. There's, there's, there's something there. And guess what? We build, just me standing here, we, we almost build a deeper relationship, and you're just sitting there. That's how God can use it. But we got to be honest with one another. Next, lastly, how do we grow? By encouraging each other's commitment. Nothing affects your life more than your commitments. Tell me what you're committed to today. And in the next 10 years, I'll tell you what you're committed to because it will be very obvious. It'll become very obvious. And by the way, our commitments shape our lives. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says, I want us to help each other with the faith we have. Your faith will help me and my faith will help you. How many of you have been challenged by other people's faith? It's intended to be that. But the only way you're going to know that is you've got to have deep fellowship. You've got to see that, that people, God is working in people's lives. So one of the purposes of the church, I'm convinced of this, is to help you fulfill your commitments. Look on your outline. Commit, commit to love Jesus. We need to help encourage each other to do that. Love others. We need to encourage each other to serve in ministry. Greatest fulfillment of my life is to serve in ministry. Grow in God's word. It may be a question you're walking up to someone and say, what's God been showing you lately? Wouldn't you hate to say, don't know anything. <laughs> well, who's that on? God or you? It's on you. But we're called to challenge one. Share, in the, share the good news. We're called to do that. Did you know that in each of these, there are people in this church who champion these commitments? 
I could go through the room and tell you the people who challenge me with these type of commitments. I, I could. I'm not going to do it because I'd leave people out and I don't want to hurt and I don't want to inflate anyone. But I'm just telling you, there are role models all in this church. There's role models who, who, who teach me how to give. There's role models in this church who teach me how to encourage other people. There's role models that, t- that challenge me to share my faith, to make prayer a priority in my life. But you'll never grow faster than when you are helping someone else grow. Look at Hebrews 10. We all know this verse. Let us consider one another. You know what that literally means? Let's make each other our priority. That's what it means. Let us make each other a priority in order to stir up love and good works, in order to encourage people to live out their faith, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. Don't, don't, not, don't get to the point where we don't think we need the church or need one another. We do, as is the manner of some. some. Some have walked away. But exhorting one another, encouraging one another so much more as you see the day approaching. That day is when Jesus comes back. We are here for one another. So here's the application. Are you growing spiritually? I want you to think about that right now. Are you growing spiritually? If not, it could be you've not developed close enough relationships. Let me say this. Before I moved to Shelby, North Carolina, I moved here to go to Gardner-Webb to get my education. Knew God was calling me into ministry. I was in a church. I'm just going to tell you, great church. Led the state in baptisms five straight years. I mean, we were seeing people come to Jesus left and right. We were seeing all these great things. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you this, okay? But I didn't have any deep, meaningful relationships with anybody in that church. I was leading teams to lead people to Jesus. CWT, I don't know if you remember it. And I would go out and all these different things. And let me say this. Love the church. Listen, the preaching was amazing. But something was missing. There wasn't anything that I felt connected to. I came here. I started visiting Putnam Memorial Baptist Church. And I came here. And immediately, God started surrounding me with people who began to speak into my life and want to do life together. Immediately. It was amazing. Now, did this church lead state in baptism? Did it have a speaker who could command thousands? No, we didn't have any of that. But God put me exactly where I needed to be. He didn't send me here to go to Garden of He sent me here, here. And I became, my wife would tell you this, I understood what it meant to be a man of God, to be a husband, to be a daddy. Did I still fail in some of those areas? There's time, yeah. You can talk to all of them, I did, but I'm a lot better than where I was, okay? But I'm here to tell you, it took people coming into my life. That's when I started growing. Do you have a relationship with others that benefit your spiritual life? Do you have those in your life who can speak into your life? If you don't, You're not going to like this. You may not like the answer. You're not growing spiritually. You're not. No lone rangers out there. We need one another. Would you stand to your feet and pray with me? Father, we just come to you right now, and we just lift up this time to you. 
Lord, I know you spoke to my heart this past week as you began to put these thoughts together. Uh, Father, I just pray for each one in this room. I, I am so convinced that you've called us into this kingdom mentality, not just to shake the world, not just to see people come to you, but you've created this kingdom mentality for us to be in the midst of it and for us to share our hearts, to encourage each other's faith, to spur us to good works, to, to stir us to the point where uh, we begin to light a fire under one another in such a way that you do a great work in our lives by the fact you place certain people in our lives. I thank you that I can look around this room and see people who champion certain commitments. They have a passion for certain things that I need to have more of a passion for. I thank you that they're in my life. Father, I thank you for those that I know that pray for me and they come to me and they tell me, this is how I'm praying for you. Father, I thank you that in the moments of these one-on-one -on -one conversations that there's so many people in this room that our relationships are not superficial. They're deep. And it's only because we'll go to those places of our weaknesses. We're open and honest. We've taken off the mask. We just want to be what you call us to be. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for those who are willing to, to be that passion that we need at times to challenge us. I thank you for those who are willing to just put it all out there. This is who I am. I'm not perfect, but here's where God's working in my life. Father, I thank you for that. Lord, I just pray for those here today that you'll help us to get to a point where we're open and honest about what you're doing. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you sing with us this morning?